Welcome to Pre-K Spot Talks. I am Melissa, your host and the founder of Pre-K Spot, the spot for early childhood educators to open up their teaching. I am your guide down the open-ended child-led teaching path, and together we will explore strategies and ideas so that you may open up your teaching to less stress, more engagement, and an overall joyful child-led classroom. Welcome to this week's episode all about rough play. Rough play is one of my absolute favorite subjects because it is just one of those things that is so natural. The kids are always doing it, yet it is so scary and uncomfortable for many adults. It is a subject I love to talk about because I love to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. I especially love to talk about these topics because I know that I do have a really high tolerance for a lot of things that many adults, teachers, and parents do not. Am I the only person that has these high tolerances? Absolutely not. But as a general sense, I have a really high tolerance for noise, mess, risky behavior, and things like that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not putting my children in harm's way, but I am letting them figure out things on their own in a productive and safe manner. Those are my two key words, productive and safe. We've talked about this before. I'm sure we all know that play is a driving force in a child's life. It's all they want to do. It's how they learn, connect, communicate, and so much more, just to name a few of the benefits of play. It can appear so simple, but it is so complex if you really, really dig deep. And this is why we're always going to be talking a lot about play. Just a quick idea of the types of play, which we've talked about before, But just, it gives you an idea about how rough play fits into everything. We have fantasy play, which is your typical role play. It's very social. Children are setting up a scenario and then seeing it through. Next is games with rules. This can also fall under fantasy play and social play. And as it sounds, this is where you're going to see your tag games or your hungry fox or your red light, green light, and board games and things like that. Constructive play, this is where you're going to see more product-oriented play, building, magnetiles, art, things like that. We have social play, which is where children are playing out social roles and playing out and practicing social interactions like family, babies, maybe they're just talking to friends and they're just hanging out and being with each other. Sensory play, this is exactly as it sounds. This is where children are going to get messy, they're going to get dirty, they're going to get their hands and their bodies and things into things. It doesn't always have to be messy. It could be things like pushing and pulling and things like that, or in inside pillows, or in big quiet areas, and things like that. And then we have physical play. Physical play and sensory play definitely have some overlap, but physical play is going to be more of your big gross motor and your fine motor, and this is where rough and tumble play falls. As you can see, when we are going over the types of play, a lot of them can be physical in many different ways, but physical play and rough and tumble play is your big body energy releasing play. This is where kids get to go all out. You're going to see lots of body contact. This is you're mostly going to see outside on the playground, chasing, running, wrestling, tugging, pulling, all the things that make us really nervous and uncomfortable. Of course, it doesn't always have to happen only on the playground and outside. It can happen inside and in the playground and not just in the gym. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit why rough play is completely appropriate and necessary. One, 
it's natural. I mean, who doesn't want to just like roll around, throw their body around sometimes? Two, it builds body awareness and self-awareness, where their body is in space and how their body moves. Three, they're building strength and understanding strength. So not only do they get to move their muscles and build it up, they're understanding how hard to push, how light to push, and all of those things. Four, they're learning boundaries. They're learning to set them, and then they're also learning to follow through with them. If there's a person who's playing rough but then realizes that it's too much for them, they yell stop, then we need to help the kids learn how to stop their bodies. And number six, it's a great way for children to release energy. We all know that they need to. We all know that they have tons of it. This is the best way for the to tire them out. As we've said before, rough play can be really uncomfortable and nerve-wracking, but it is so necessary. In the classroom, it might look something like crawling around, wrestling, tugging, pulling, and pushing each other, building and jumping off of blocks, standing on chairs, or spinning while holding hands. I know my kids love to do that during dance and movement time. They grab and they make a big circle and they just spin around. And when we're outside, it's going to look Like all of those things that we just listed, but plus running, crashing, pushing pile-ups, and throwing things. You know, obviously they can throw things in the classroom too, but there's a fine line between what I allow in the classroom versus rough play that I allow outside. Depending on the day, sometimes the classroom is set up so that it can allow running. We have kind of a circle around the room, so it creates a track. I'm okay with the kids running the circle when the room is picked up and clean. Towards the end of the week, we have tons of block structures out and other things that stay up. It's not always the best. So I help the kids understand that. And if they can't do it in the classroom, we try to help them redirect it into the hallway through an obstacle course or even just running back and forth in the hallway, which is totally allowed in our school. Plus, our classrooms are at the end of the hallway, so we're not really disturbing anybody. Rough play can also be really uncomfortable because it really does raise the children's energy. You know, as much as it gets their energy out, we have to get it up there, so get it all out, so bring it back down. And, you know, sometimes I can get into that excited, impulsive state, and this is where learning some executive functioning comes in. Rough play is definitely a great place to start figuring this out and starting to regulate and control impulses. You know, it can result in children getting hurt and taking things too far. That is going to happen. But we need to know how to handle it and help children process it. Getting things like little bumps and bangs and bruises and hard pushes so you fall down are going to happen and they come with the territory of rough play. We make sure to let all of our kids know that that is going to happen and you need to figure out if you are okay with it or not okay with it. We also let our parents know that that is going to happen. There is a fine line between getting roughed up a little bit because you're playing rough and getting roughed up because somebody intentionally hurts you. And this is what we have to help the children process. You know, teaching them in the moment is the best way. I really believe that rough play cannot be theorized. Rough play is something that you have to do to figure out. You can't figure out how hard to push something if you're not actually pushing something. Now, it doesn't always have to be a body or a person, but it can be this type of play. Other strategies we're going to use to help children process this type of play is through a lot of language. We're going to help them understand how to stand up for themselves. We're going to help them learn how to 
listen to friends and what to say and what to do when you hear somebody saying stop or ouch or looking at their face and understanding how they're feeling about it. Other things, maybe just making small body adjustments. Instead of throwing overhand in the classroom, let's throw the beanbags underhand. You can save overhand for outside. Now, it is definitely not our job to stop rough play if it is productive and safe. Like I said, they're going to get bumps and bruises. That doesn't mean that they're not being safe. Being unsafe to me within this context and this type of play is when friends are starting to actually smack or hit each other. As soon as somebody starts to feel unsafe, then it becomes unsafe. But then we need to help that person realize if they want to continue to play or if they want to move on. We have to help them process these feelings and understand the difference between rough bumping and intentional hurting. We do not allow intentional hurting. We do not want the children to be hurt. But we will allow the children to try so that they can understand these boundaries and these ideas in the context so that they can feel it. I have to say, I have a high-energy boy here at home who loves to run, has to be up and moving all the time, loves to chase, but he has figured out that he does not like rough play. He definitely likes a more mild version, like I just said, chase, tag, maybe a little bit of a pileup. That's fine for him. But wrestling, pushing, shoving, that's not for him. That's not his version of rough play. And he had to try it out to figure it out. He realized that there were some kids at school who were playing so much more rough than him. But he says, I don't want to do that. I'm not friends with those kids on the playground. And I said, great. I'm so glad you figured that out. You know what you like and make sure you stand up for yourself. When we're talking about play and especially rough play, we can't ignore the desires and urges that children have when they're playing. There's definitely things out there called play urges. And they're the things that children really, really want to do that come out through their play. Some of these things are the urge to destroy, to transport, to hide, to connect, to give, to take, to gather and throw, to envelop, rotate, orientate, transform, climb, jump, dig, tumble, run, pull, and push. And a lot of these desires come out through rough play. You know, they might want to kick and punch and destroy things. Obviously, kicking and punching other people's bodies, probably not a great idea. Maybe somebody else wants to play with that, but that's something I know in school I probably wouldn't allow. Maybe at home or maybe with other friends that I know like to play the same way, we can allow some level of that so they can learn how hard or how soft to punch. But generally, if a child has a desire to destroy, I'm going to give them something to destroy. They can hit the wall. They can knock over blocks, things like that. Jumping, climbing, those come out in rough play as well. Those are great, especially in the classroom. We can let those urges out, and especially outside. And pushing and pulling and running, all of those urges are coming out through rough play. You know, so many of the urges present itself physically. And that's why rough play is so necessary and important. Also, there's major connections in rough play and play to the sensory systems. You know, children who really are sensory seekers or might need some kind of input or an outlet are probably going to engage in this type of play more often. 
I'm not an OT, so I'm not going to go very deep on it, but did you know that there are 13 sensory systems? 13. Not just the regular five or eight, which I had heard of before. There are 13. Many of them unseen. And I definitely suggest looking that up and going a little bit deeper on that because, like I said, not an OT here. Just have done some of my own work and research so that I can make my classroom a sensory smart classroom. And that is why I have a high tolerance and allow this type of play within the classroom walls and outside. Rough and tumble play meets so many of our bodily needs and urges that it's really wonderful for kids. One of the really key components is building language around this type of play. I mentioned before language to stand up for yourself and language to understand, to hear from others. Some of it is the interpretations that the children have with their limited language trying to explain a situation. And lots of our language, like be careful and things like that, play a large role into this. So let's start with how we help rough play with language. We help children process it and come to terms with it. I like to use words like, oh, how is your body moving? How is your body feeling? Oh, I see your body going really fast. I see your body stopping. Things like that, just helping them understand that their body movements have a label, have a name. We model things using words like steady, strong, gentle, soft. I like to use a lot of those words with my younger children, even older children, because they're really straightforward, simple, and help them understand. Maybe we say something like, let's take it down a notch, let's slow our bodies down just a little bit from a run to a walk. And using language to help children understand their energy, because they know they have it, but they don't know what to say about it. They don't know what to do with it. So we need to label it for them and help them understand those words and what they mean. Just even saying something like, oh, your energy is very up here. I see your body moving really fast and you can't sit still. We need to do some breathing or we need to move slower to help our body calm down. You know, something really important that I learned in a class a super duper long time ago was that when children are coming down from some energetic movement, especially something like rough play and recess, the last thing we want to do is get them all the way up high and then say, stop and sit down. I mean, would you want to sit down and stop immediately like that? And think about a young child who has even less control over their impulses and regulation. We need to really start bringing them down on steps or like through a spiral, right? So maybe you go from running to power walking to walking to sitting and still moving your body to now then being calm and taking a breath and really being still. This is something I like to try to practice as much as I possibly can whenever I get my kids' energy up. Like during movement, we start with really fast songs, and then we do one or two slow songs, and then we do some yoga, and then we do some breathing, and then I ask them to move on. Same thing with recess. We bring them up really high. They do have to line up, but we're okay with them falling out of line or you know, moving around still within that line because it's just kind of the routine of how it has to happen so that lots of classes can transition. But I don't come in and ask them to just sit down right away. I ask them to move around and help set up all of their mats and wash their hands and we do some yoga and we do some breathing and then I ask them to calmly sit down on their mats quietly. Some language and strategies around helping children combat rough play. We like to use the word boundary You want to say, that's a body boundary, or that is a boundary for me. The kids hear boundary, it's kind of like the magic word. We start off with stop, 
just the simple stop so that they start to understand that that is a key word. They say stop. You have to just immediately try to stop your body so that we have a cutting off of whatever is happening, whether it be some hitting or some pushing or some pulling, so that we can start to look into the situation. After we learn stop, we learn to say stop, don't touch me, or stop hitting me, or stop, move away, or stop, I need space. So many different things that we can say there. And then we add boundary. Stop, that's a boundary, please move away. Or stop, that's a boundary, don't hit me anymore. And then we also teach the children to come and tell an adult what is happening. Say, help, I need, I'm in trouble, or help, this person isn't stopping, this is what I've said. We also really like to make sure that the children are understanding appropriate labels for the things that are happening. Something like a child going home and telling somebody that they got punched in the face. But you know as a teacher that that child did not get punched in the face, but the child didn't have another word to say what happened. Sometimes children call things different things because they don't have the vocabulary to come up with it in the moment and especially after the fact that it's happened. So one of the things we really like to do with this, and especially teaching parents to talk about rough play and figure out if it was just a playful situation or if it was crossing the line into intentional hurting, is to either show them what their hand or their body looked like, something like that. You can say, oh, well, what did his body look like or what did her hand look like? And oftentimes when somebody says punch, they just give it a gentle tap and they realize that it wasn't a punch. It was more of just a hit. I like to have parents ask where on the body the child was hit if they're not so sure. This way it also tells you if it was intentional or not because oftentimes, right, intentionally you're going to get hit in the face or you're going to get hit in the back or the head or the arms or something like that where rough and tumble play is going to be like a bump on the knee or maybe a bump on the tush or something like that. I know when I'm talking to my own child and something I help my parents understand too is I also like to have them ask about the context. Oh, well, what was happening before? So that way we find out if there was some instigation or something like that and it like escalated into an intentional situation or if it really truly was a rough play situation. Another great way to interview children in this situation is to have them draw a picture If they don't really have the words to say it, they can draw a picture, see what was going on, or maybe even talk to a puppet. We have a classroom owl puppet, and sometimes the children love to talk to the puppet more so than they love to talk to me. And the thing is, all I have to do is put that puppet on my hand, and boom, I'm not me anymore. I would also really like to mention the idea of saying, be careful. Saying be careful is such a habit. I still say it all the time. I'm really trying to consciously make an effort not to, and this is why. When we're saying be careful, we're really sending the message to our children that the world is a really scary place. And look, there are absolute situations where you need to say be careful because you do need to portray that this is a scary situation. But in everyday situations like in school, in the classroom, on the playground, in your outside school play area, while we do want them to be careful, we don't want them to see it as a scary place. We want them to take risks. I often tell my children that if you don't have a couple of scrapes or bumps or bruises on your knees, then you're not taking enough risks, right? That tells you that you're taking a productive, safe risk, but if you do something and you have a broken arm, that was not a safe risk because we want children to try. We don't want them to be scared. So, you know, being a little bit more process-oriented with our language, like, 
oh, let's move your feet slowly while crawling across the log, or let's move one step at a time when you're on the balance beam. Things like that, just like the things that we use every day when we're trying to use more positive, process-driven language, it goes for this kind of play too. And really eliminating the word be careful can really change the way children see the world and the things that they try in this context. So I mentioned before about sensory smart classrooms and really having a sensory smart classroom can help children eliminate the need for this type of play within the classroom setting. This way, if you don't have a setup where you can allow this type of play, and plus if you don't want it to get too high or too energetic, then having a sensory smart classroom is the best way to combat this. This way they're having all of their sensory needs met, whether you are a typically developing child or you do have special needs, you don't have to have special needs to have sensory needs. Everybody has them. And so having things like soft, quiet areas or pillows that they can push into or heavy work, things they can carry around, push around, you know, things for their hands to do, things for their bodies to move on, you know, sit and spins are a great thing, scooters, trampolines, even just like scarves and squishy things for their hands, brushes for their bodies, things like that to meet all of those needs so that the outlet doesn't come out through this rough play in an area where it may not be safe to do it. Another strategy I like to use when I see my kids really wanting to engage in some rough play in the classroom is I love to put a time limit on it. We like to try to have a yes classroom with a yes space if necessary. So like if a child wants to destroy a block tower We build an area where they can destroy block towers and we have an area where block towers stay safe. You know, same thing for the rough play. The other day, my children really, really wanted to hit each other with their stuffies. So I let them, but we contained it to the carpet. We said that the carpet area is the stuffy hitting area. And if you step off the carpet, you're going to melt in the lava. That way they kept it into one place so that the other children could move about the room without possibly getting hurt. And we do always have a rule with no matter what we do is there are no headshots. If anybody gets hit in the face or hit in the head, you get a warning. If it happens a second time, because it could happen, right? We just want to make sure that the children are understanding how to do that. If it happens a second time, we'll ask children to either shift the way that they're playing the rough play, like maybe taking the stuffy away or putting it down or um, taking a break for a minute, taking a couple of breaths, and then re-entering. We don't do it in timeout style. Like, we do take a true break. We'll say, step to the side. Let's do one of the breathing exercises that we know and we use. And then let's go back in and try again. And if a child is getting too high and cannot control their body, we will ask them to make a change for longer than just a breath. Maybe they need to play something different. And we say something like, You know, I see your body has a lot of energy and you've hit friends in the face multiple times, which we know is not okay. And so let's try again later. And we ask them to just make a change for a few minutes, bring their body all the way back down to make sure they're in a safe, safe state. And then we might let them go back. But usually by that time, the game has changed. Sometimes I do have to put a time limit on it. Sometimes I'll say, hey, here's your 10 minutes to run around. Here's your 10 minutes to play the stuffy game. When the timer is up, we're going to move on. 
Most of the time that works. It's enough to let them get it out and then they can move on to something different. They usually need a lot of help to refocus. But there are times when I see that even the timer is not working and they need to just get outside or they need to get out in the hallway and just be crazy. And part of our jobs is to recognize that. And it's taken some time for me to sort of figure out the best ways to manage it. But this is what I do and it really helps, especially this year when I have a whole lot more really high-energy kids who really like to engage in this type of play. Another strategy that we like to use to help children kind of learn more about their bodies in rough play is a lot of practice with pillows. I have a lot of really big pillows in the classroom or stuffies, and we do a lot of throwing, pushing, pulling, squeezing, so we can understand how tight we can do things. And then sometimes we do actually practice on our friends. First, we practice on our stuffies where we let it all out, And then we learn to pull it back and practice with a friend in a controlled state, which is really awesome. And the kids really seem to like it. And that's where I like to start in the beginning of the year. And then the kids try to take those strategies outside. This way we can say, is this a stuffy hug or a gentle hug? And the kids absolutely love it because they know that their stuffies are not real and they can squeeze them really hard. And sometimes my kids say to me, I want a squeezy hug. Give me a stuffy hug. And of course, I give them a squeezy hug. So I hope you enjoyed listening this week and you really got some deeper ideas on rough play and how you might be able to allow it a little bit more in your space and become a little bit more comfortable with the idea. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week.